1: Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Many of you have been listening to uh, Governor Kemp's news conference about COVID-19, about the steps that he and state government say they've taken to try to uh, stem the flow of the virus in Georgia, but also to support uh, the people working, the public health workers, the hospital uh, uh, doctors, the nurses, and others who have been fighting uh, the virus and we're going to talk about uh, some of what Governor Kemp said in that news conference. And uh, I just, every now and then, we really luck out on this show. Uh, because to have a discussion about the fight that is now underway between Governor Kemp and Keisha Lance Bottoms, mayor of Atlanta, over uh, her insistence on putting a mandatory mask law in place and the governor now suing her, going into court saying that she has no legal right to do this uh, is uh, the kind of question that we should have some lawyers talk about. And in fact, we have a panel of lawyers with us today. And before I introduce them, I should, of course, acknowledge that it's Friday, which means my colleague Jim Galloway, uh, the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is with us today. Uh, You read him on Wednesdays and Sundays In the AJC, he's got a blockbuster column that's about to drop, and we'll—I hope—get a little time to talk about it later in the show, Jim. But uh, thank you for being with us. I feel like you and I should ask questions and then let the lawyers talk.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just let let them take the witness stand. We're just going. We're we're the jury. We're going to be jury jury people
1: today. (laughs) And those attorneys are a longtime regular panelists, uh, Mary Margaret Oliver, a Democratic state representative from Decatur, and her Sunday school teaching partner, Edward Lindsay, former Republican state legislator uh, who represented the city of Atlanta. Uh, We're living through tough times. Maybe we need some Bible verse today, uh, Mary Margaret (laughs) and Edward. You can guide us through.
0: (laughs) Happy to help in any way. Thank you both for
1: good morning. Thanks for being here. You too, Edward. And we're also really happy to have back with us uh, Professor Fred Smith, who is a a teacher of a professor of of law at Emory University, whose expertise is in uh, constitutional law and the federal judiciary. Um, And in this conversation today, Fred, we're going to want to talk a bit about some Supreme Court cases and an important Georgia case that could be headed to the Supreme Court, the Heartbeat Law. So thank you for being here to help us in those conversations.
3: Absolutely. It's my absolute pleasure to be here.
1: Okay, so let's get started. Uh, let's talk about the news conference that the governor just had. Um, it, it strikes me that this issue of the masks, is, you could, it, it falls into three different categories. There's the question of, there's a public health component to this. Um, there's a very clear political component to this. And there's a legal component to the jockeying between a, the state, the governor of the state with an executive order insisting that his he has the ability to uh, uh, to establish orders that cannot be contradicted by a local municipality, and there's, that's the legal side of this. Jim Galloway, do you think I have that right? That there are kind of three uh, yeah, areas. That we yeah, yeah. I think it's thing? even a
2: little bit more nuanced. Uh, I mean, the governor's contention is that that uh, that if, if if he were to let the the these cities uh, yeah. have their head, mm-hmm. and they would go off in all different directions, and businesses would would have no uniform. Uh, uh, uniform uh, 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 layer of, restri- of of requirements to to observe, but but it, let, let me. I, I will tell you. I haven't posted the morning jolt yet because I was waiting for 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 the governor to to finish up yet. But it, let me let me point you to. I think everybody on this panel, at least one time or another, has been to Athens, correct? And they know that Broad Street right runs right through downtown, right? Okay. On the south side of Broad Street is the University of Georgia, where as of Wednesday, masks are required, all right? On the north side of, of, of Broad Street is the city of Athens, where masks were required and now are not. But if you go west toward the, the local high school, uh, you have local, the local school board has been given the option of maybe of allowing or not allowing masks to be worn in those facilities. So it's it's even even without the, the city ordinances, we've got this 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 really confusing
1: patchwork going. Mary Margaret, jump in on this.
0: I spend a lot of time in my private law practice counseling clients to minimize conflict. Conflict is costly, it's negative, and it very frequently will result Ultimately, in a settlement or a bad result. The options of good results from litigation are something that I'm very conscious of. A very, I'm a risk averse person in terms of litigation. I can't figure out on any basis why if I'm filing a lawsuit against Keisha and the City Council of Atlanta is it good law or good politics? Under, let's talk about the law a little bit because I'm kind of weirdly focused on. The claim for injunctive relief, you under a health emergency for the purpose of protecting lives of Georgia, you are asserting that failure to uh, do away with the local mandatory mask requirement is, in fact, uh, injurious to the citizens. You're taking a public health position to argue a non-public health result it how can you uh, justify that kind of legal claim he doesn't want the local ordinance enforced and that is against the public health interest so i'm confused about that legal claim the politics of georgia being the only state and around us i don't want to say the only state but alabama has a mandatory mask and we have a mandatory mask uh, order from many southern states, many Republican states, because of eliminating confusion. Exactly the, the issues that uh, Governor Kemp seems to be focused on are contrary to his position on failing to issue a mandatory mask ordinance. I'm totally confused by what he talks about, about it not being enforced. I don't understand that at all. I'm happy for the litigation, if there's going to be litigation on enforcement, to come from the individual citizen somewhere who refuses to issue a mask and asserts his constitutional right in some way to be free of a mask under a public health emergency. Um,
1: All right, so Fred Smith, I'm sorry, Fred Smith, if we were, let's strip out the fact that we're in the midst of a public health emergency just for the sake of a discussion about the legal issues here. Is there a principle that, um, that a state government may want to try to protect in an argument that says the state has authority that local municipalities cannot take from it. Local authorities cannot supersede what state governments put in place. Is that, in fact, how the Constitution works, how the state of Georgia's uh, Constitution operates? Is there a principle there that they, you know, again, we know about the politics and all the public health issues, but what about that principle?
3: Sure. So the leading principle here is the principle of preemption. Uh, And so this is a principle that does exist with respect to the federal government in relation to the states, but it's also a principle um, that exists with respect to the state uh, government in relationship to the, the cities. And so um, under the preemption principle, uh, kind of one of the first questions is, um, has the state acted and has the state acted legally? Uh, because if the state regulation or law isn't legal in the first place, then you don't really get to the rest of the questions. But assuming for a moment um, that the initial state regulation or law is lawful, um, then uh, there's, a, there's a number of ways that that can preempt, that is kind of you know, potentially displace opportunities for cities to act in various ways. Uh, So one way is that um, a state regulation or law can be express. Uh, It can can expressly state this is an area where local governments um, cannot act. Um, Another type of preemption is called conflict preemption, Uh, and under the principle of conflict preemption, what you kind of look to is well, um, is the is the local law is it impossible to uh, comply with the local law and to comply um, with in this case the state law. Um, um, or you might ask, um, was there an intent um, on the part of the state um, to, um, to act in a way that it was exclusive um, and, uh, and to have kind of uniformity um, such that the city couldn't do something um, more than what the state government did? So that is, that is a general principle. And it, uh, in the state law context, um, and I, I teach state and local law, so it's, it's especially fun to talk about this, uh, fun legally, terrible uh, in other ways. Um, uh, but what, what, what come, what you kind of are dealing with is that the state created local governments. Uh, and so it's kind of, you know, you have sort of the same kind of preemption that you have with respect to federal governments and, uh, in relation to state, but it's really kind of preemption on steroids. And, uh, and the governor is here attempting to take full advantage of this. Um, and he's relying on, I don't know how much into the weeds we want to get into, but yeah, he's relying on emergency orders. Uh, or sorry, emergency um, powers that were given to him in thirty-eight three, twenty-eight. That's USGA uh, thirty-eight three twenty-eight, um, which Representative uh, Oliver knows well, way more about than me. Uh, and uh, but it, it gives the governor a great deal of uh, emergency power to suspend regulations, um, and so. Uh, you know, so that's his argument, his argument is, look, I have the ability to do this and uh, and if it was if there was any doubt before i'm making it very clear now uh, my state regulation it is uh, it is it is the king um, and any local government that attempts to do anything on, on uh, is violating um the law. And now, now there are some arguments on the other side. And I'm happy to unpack those too, but that's the general uh, principle and that's the nature of uh, Governor Kemp's argument.
4: Well, to, to build on Professor Smith's and Mary Margaret's point, first off, Mary Margaret, I give very similar advice to clients who want to go into litigation. I tell them that it's never empirically good to be in a lawsuit. You're always in a lawsuit when you don't have any other choice. And if you can get out of the lawsuit, get out of the lawsuit. Uh, to build on uh, the professor's point uh, it, regarding the conflict preemption, he's absolutely right regarding the code section that he cited, which specifically says that the local governments in, can use emergency powers to deal with the health crisis as long as it doesn't contradict uh, something that the uh, legislature or that the governor has done. And in this particular case, from a legal standpoint, Uh, It's quite clear that the the city of Atlanta has done that. Now you get to the question of whether or not it's good policy and good politics, and and, and that gets into an entirely different question.
0: Well, Ed, that's what I'm confused about. I mean, the governor has not issued a no-mask order. He has basically um, suggested that people wear. So I'm trying to figure out what policy has the governor issued that the city of Atlanta is acting contrary to? The governor has well, not acted, so there's y- nothing y- yes, to he has. contradict. Actually, yeah, he he, he actually, he in saying. his
4: last order, has done that, Mayor. Margaret. He specifically said, it, said that the, the local government cannot mandate a, a, a mask. Uh, he has so He's, he's issuing to that.
0: A, a non. He's issuing a non-position position. That's what I'm confused about, and that's why the injunctive relief will be so interesting. I, that's yeah. an argument I want to go to to see how he figure how he articulates. I have not done something, so I don't want them to do something in my place.
1: But he said you can't. Okay, do so it. I want to jump. I want. I want, I want to jump in, uh, Jim. <laughs> uh, and the reason I'm jumping in is we've we established the fact you're all really suggesting that there is a legal case here and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, you know, and, and, and a lot of it might be informed by the language the governor uses what Mary Margaret's suggesting in his executive order. Uh, so there, that legal case is going to be interesting to watch, but Jim Galloway, I think we've got to move on to the, to the much larger question that citizens of the state are asking. I'm getting so much email from people saying, What is going on here? Why are we not under a mandatory mask order? Why is the governor hesitant? Why does he want to leave it up to individuals to decide for themselves, encourage them, but not go further? And that, of course, is where we start moving into the political side of
2: right right and if you i mean if you, if you if you look at what the governor said immediately after issuing that uh, 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 announcing the lawsuit, he said he was doing this on behalf of of atlanta businesses uh and that's that's his that's been his emphasis uh ever since april he is he is and he he has he has been focused on getting uh, on on getting and keeping georgia's economic uh engine going and 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 uh, you know with the level of unemployment you've got that that's 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 clearly uh uh, a, a concern, but the other the other piece that we have left out of this bill is today is the giant retailers, who in the absence of, of anything happening out of Washington or Atlanta, uh, they are they are imposing their own mandates. Uh, you've got you you've got Costco, Walmart, uh, you you've got uh, Starbucks, uh, you've got Target. All saying that they're going to require customers to wear masks uh, uh, as, uh, upon entering, which kind of shifts it from that the argument from that libertarian position—you can't, you, you know—you can't impose your, your rules on me—to a kind of a property rights uh, uh, situation, which, which <laughs> the state government could be maneuvered into enforcing if, if, if these stores uh, kind of start start uh, calling out uh, customers for trespassing. So, so there's that. So, so you've got this huge patchwork, and and it's and, and you, you spoke of the uh, you spoke of the impact. Uh, what what Kemp and you know I would say I would argue that all kind of down ballot Republicans have to worry about uh, in November is is they don't want to be conflated with the with the pandemic response coming out of Washington. I mean, you've got a, you've got a Washington Post-ABC News poll out today that's saying 60 percent disapprove of how Trump is handling this. And, and what's more, half of them, half of them, 52 percent, strongly disapprove. That, that tells you that there's, there, there's, there's some real anger out there, and you don't want to get on the wrong side of that anger.
1: Fred, I think, you know, it's interesting. Both Mary Margaret and Edward uh, gave, told us. They argue. They tell their clients, "If you don't have to get into a legal fight, don't. If you can resolve this amicably, why don't you try to do that?" And that principle may be one of the most important principles of law in some uh, cases. And, and that is, Fred. What strikes me as somewhat puzzling about this. I mean, let's let's um, acknowledge that Keisha Lance Bottoms in recent months has gone particularly on cable news shows and been critical of Governor Kemp. I think that's a fair point to make. She has. Kemp has fired back in the context of trying to restrict how she sees uh, uh, her responsibility in fighting the virus in Atlanta. And this lawsuit, Fred, just really escalates it to a level that strikes me in the midst of a pandemic. We have a right reason to say, why do you do this now? Yeah.
3: Sure. Absolutely. I mean, this is where uh, preemption and politics kind of intersect uh, in a really significant way. And so um, the, the argument on behalf of the city um, appears to be twofold, I and mean, we don't know all of it yet. But just based on the early tweets from uh, Mayor Bottoms, um, uh, as well as kind of uh, the other rumblings that I've heard, Um you know, there's, there's two arguments. So, one type of argument is of the type that uh, Representative uh, Oliver made, which is that um, the governor isn't acting within the scope of 38 328 in the first place because um, he hasn't affirmatively acted with respect to masks. He's encouraged masks, but he hasn't affirmatively acted. Um, and that it's kind of the opposite of affirmatively acting to say that cities can't uh, do this, right? And so um, presumably, part of the language that they'll rely on from 38-328 is um, that the governor can issue regulations, quote, as may be necessary for emergency management purposes. Um, and the argument might go um, kind of displacing cities' abilities to actually do things to protect the health of their citizens um, is, is doing the opposite. So that's one type of claim that might be made. Um, what Mayor Bottoms has said this morning is, hey, my, by the way, y'all, my orders were actually – they were recommendations the whole time, right? Uh, and so the, the language of the, uh, the executive order does use the word require. However, um, there's no enforcement mechanism um, that is to say – there's no fine that's associated with it. There's no jail time. There's no there's literally no enforcement. Right. Uh, and so uh, it appears that the city's position is going to be um, what we did is entirely consistent with what you did, Governor. We're, we're recommending we're strongly encouraging, just like you did. Um, and uh, and and this goes to the political point. Right. Which is that there are other Cities across the state, and I don't want to encourage the governor to go sue them, but there are cities across the state where cities actually have an enforcement mechanism, where there are fines associated with this. Um, And so from a legal perspective, he picked literally the weakest case, right? Um, He also could have waited, uh, as Representative Oliver pointed out, he he could have just waited for someone in one of these cities to get a fine, and then they could challenge it, right? But this sort of kind of, um, the, the posture of this case and the choice of Atlanta um, suggests that this was uh, very much a political move, uh, an attempt to sort of um, a um, you know go to battle with Mayor Bottoms, and B um, it uh, it suggests that Atlanta, the word Atlanta, the name Atlanta, um, that it has kind of a special place um, in the way that some state politicians um, like to score points um, uh, in the political arena.
2: Hey, uh, Bill, let me if if I could pose a question to our three lawyers here. Is okay all right and and I know I know you're going to give me some immediate pushback nobody wants to predict what a judge is going to do but given what 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 dr. Smith just said here is, is it possible that a judge will just toss this thing Edward
4: well I, I doubt if they'll toss it all together but if the mayor concedes that she has no enforcement power and that this was merely a suggestion he could very well. Uh, finds uh, that the government uh, does have the power to make these decisions and to preempt any local, but say that uh, the city of Atlanta hasn't done anything. You know, it's also interesting, two, two points to, to raise as part of this as well. Uh, the mayor expressly states in her executive order uh, that she recognizes she can't contradict anything the governor uh, has issued. That's, that was interesting. And to the, 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 uh, the professor's point, I guess it gets back as to why Atlanta was picked. You know, there's multiple reasons, but one of them gets back to the old adage that if you want to make your authority known, when you walk into a bar, I'm the biggest guy in the bar and hit him first. And, and perhaps that's the direction that the, that the, that the governor is going in. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, the, the fact that the, the, the city of Atlanta is already backtracking this morning uh, with the tweets, perhaps gives both sides an opportunity to step back and, and see if something can be worked out, which is always a good thing. It's it back to Mary Margaret and our original point that, uh, you know, sitting down and trying to work something out is a good thing, and, and perhaps the tweets give both sides an opportunity to do so. I'm
0: curious about who the judge is here and what his or her personality will be, uh, because that matters matters enormously. Not so much the politics of a judge, but more so the personality and the case management personality of a judge. I can see a judge slow walking this case, uh, giving a lot of opportunity for public discussion. Um, I think it would be a public service to have a public discussion. I'm always curious about what do I don't know? I mean, I'm always aware that there's always another room where it happens, where Mary Margaret's not in the room where it happens ultimately. What in the world <laughs> is Governor Kemp trying to accomplish? He sounds a little personally, you know, irritated at the city of Atlanta. That's always a bad place to start in terms of initiating uh, litigation. What's he trying to accomplish? What he wants to accomplish is people wear masks. Under the Public Health Emergency Authority, he's, his obligation is to wear to. Inc- make people in whatever way possible where masks. that's what's going to moderate this pandemic. I'm totally confused about his legal goal.
4: Well to sort of build on what Mary Margaret says a lot of times and I'm, I'm sure Mary Margaret had a similar experience where a judge brings both sides into uh, their chambers and goes okay guys uh you know this fight isn't worth it uh you guys aren't really that far apart uh what can we do to to reach an accommodation That's something that a lot of times folks don't recognize good judges do, but some of the best judges, that's exactly what they did in terms of mediating. But Mary Margaret's right. I mean, the governor in his press conference today said, wear a mask, physically distance, wash your hands and follow the executive orders. Um, And I don't think Mayor Mayor Bottoms is that far in terms of the policy side from that same position. matter of fact, I think she's in that same place.
1: Which, Which brings us back. To to the politics, which are playing at a time when the virus is surging in Georgia, when people are more concerned than ever about going back out into the world at large. Hospitals are filling up. So the politics and the public health issues really come together. I want to get to a break. Uh, And when we come back from it, just spend a couple more minutes on this before moving on to other issues that we want to uh, talk about today, including uh, that all-important federal court ruling on Georgia's heartbeat abortion bill. We'll do all that and more uh, after we pause. This is Political Rewind.
3: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also
4: like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered
3: directly to your device every weekday afternoon.
1: Mary Margaret Oliver, Edward Lindsay, uh, Emory University Law School professor Fred Smith and Jim Galloway uh, with us on this edition of Political Rewind. Tom Faust, could we queue up... Uh, Cut number 28004. Uh, Jim Galloway, I want you to hear one of the uh, uh, comments that uh, the governor made during his news conference today and uh, talk about it on the other side. Let's listen.
4: Mayor Bottoms' mass mandate cannot be enforced, but her decision to shutter businesses and undermine economic growth is devastating. Atlanta businesses are hurting. Violent crime is up and families are rightfully worried. Just like sending in the National Guard to protect those living in our capital city from crime and violence, I refuse to sit back and watch as disastrous policies threaten the lives and livelihoods of our citizens. We will fight to stop reckless actions and put people over pandemic politics.
1: Jim. I, that's a that statement. I could be on either side of the issue, listening. Uh,
2: to that I, Well, I will tell you what. Here's what worries me about that. Number one, uh, just on the on the shuttering of Atlanta businesses, I think only one business has 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 made public that it will voluntarily shut down in the face of what of, of what uh, Mayor Bottoms is suggesting. So we don't have we don't have any 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 plethora of 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 uh, retail operations or other businesses sh- shutting down. What bothers me here is the conflation of the 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 the, the protests, the the Black Lives Matters protests, and the pandemic, and the fact that 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 uh, Governor Kemp has put them in the same bowl, and and is uh, uh, addressing one as he would address the other, uh, and, and I and I think that's a, I think that's a. That's a that's a strategic mistake, Uh, not within Republican politics, but within a general general election context.
0: As usual, I really agree with Jim Galloway. I was struck by the that comment as being divisive, uh, overly uh, divisive in terms of how people are feeling out there. People are frightened by this virus, I think, in significant ways. In, in many ways more so than they were in March and April. I think the unpredictability and the, of what's happening in the virus and more people that we all know getting sick, particularly in, in my legal community, you know, we have judges dying of COVID. Judges I know, judges I've practiced before, dying of COVID, um, based on not wearing masks, allegedly, in the, in the courthouses. I'm very much t- tuned into that in recent weeks. The people are afraid of the virus and the upset that is on the edges around the protest and Black Lives Matter are all part of it. Why do you why do you poke a stick at that this morning? Why do you poke a stick at that when your message really has tried to be the same since March? Wear your mask, wash your hands, social distance. It's very inconsistent in my view, unless there's some kind of real personal animus there. Personal animus against the protests, personal animus against the city of Atlanta, Tisha uh, getting national public uh, prominence uh, as a very important Biden presentation. It's very politically strategic on his part, but it's politically strategic in a dumb way, in my view. Why does he want to be more
1: divisive? So, Edward, let me – Edward, it feels like – and you're you're the Republican on the panel today – Statements like that uh, seem quite similar to the way that President Trump is uh, uh, conducting himself and messaging around the virus, and that is playing strictly to the base. Do you think I have that wrong?
4: I, well, I, I, I do think you have it wrong, uh, given the context of what we've gone through in the last couple of weeks in Atlanta. I, I know the way the news <laughs> cycle has worked this year. What happened a week ago seems like a year ago, but only... Uh, a week or 10 days ago, we were dealing with uh, uh, the situation in Atlanta in which not the, not the peaceful protest. I, w- I want to divide out that uh, from, from the fact that we did have seen a, a spike in violence here in Atlanta uh, that really hit its peak uh, during the July 4th weekend in which uh, uh, some people were tragically murdered. Uh, and some uh, uh, individuals actually ransacked a, a, a lot of businesses and public buildings, which led to the governor having to call out the National Guard to protect state facilities and release the state patrol to be able to patrol the roads in Atlanta. So, you know, the two really can't be separated that far because they're only a few days apart, guys. Uh, for that reason, I, oh, I but, do but, but But
1: let's get... Uh, you no, know, we got to get Fred in on that because it it does strike me, Edward and Fred, you can respond to this. Jim, you're welcome. All of you can jump in. I think Edward just made the very point that Jim Galloway was suggesting uh, was uh, dangerous here: to conflate a state fighting a virus that's killing you know thousands of Georgians with marches, some of which got violent, and and we we all condemn as if they somehow belong in the same uh, uh, basket that we're looking at, Fred.
3: Sure. Well, first, I do want to thank Mr. Lin- Lin- Mr. Lindsay for separating out the, um, the violence that occurred from the protests. I think that's important. Um, uh, at the same time, uh, you know, temporality um, is not in and of itself a relationship. Um, and uh, if the governor this morning was uh, was focused on the public health emergency of mass. Um, it's not clear other than, I mean, there's lots of things that have happened um, in the state, in the city, in the, in the world <laughs> over the last week. Um, uh, and so that doesn't, the, the temporality alone does not mean that they belong in the same uh, conversation. Um, and the fact that he placed them there uh, starts to, it, it reminds me actually of a Jim Galloway um, recent piece um, where um, he's, re- he's written about the deteriorating relationship or deteriorated relationship between the governor uh, and the mayor, um, what started as a very um, pragmatic, thoughtful um, relationship um, and some goodwill that, uh, that 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 Governor Deal and, and Mayor Reed kind of left, um, that it's just kind of rapidly deteriorated over the last few weeks, and um, and that's that's deeply concerning. It's concerning with respect to taking on the the public safety crisis, and it's also concerning with respect to taking on the public health crisis. Um, so I'm going to take off my professor hat for just one second and put on my City of Atlanta hat uh, as a resident, and also I'm on the board of Invest Atlanta. So economic development is very important to me. Um, I'm concerned about what this looks like for economic development. I'm concerned this isn't just local headlines. these are national headlines about the rela- that, that have been escalated as a result yesterday of, this, of that particular lawsuit. Um, and of the words that were uttered this morning, um, that does not make us look like a city that's good for business um, the, the, in relation to other places. The mask order is not responsible for that. But I'm really deeply concerned about what this is going to mean for us as a city uh, going forward and being a vibrant uh, uh, place to be.
4: Well, to sort of to get to, to the point that Professor Smith was making, and I, too, am a resident of the city of Atlanta and am very invested in this city. Uh, and, and that's exactly what Professor Smith said, exactly where I was intending to get to, which, which is they, they come together uh, because of what's happened in the last couple of weeks. And this has become a, 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 a uh, conflict between the mayor and the, uh, and the governor. And so for that reason, I do understand why the, the governor put them together. And, I do, and we've seen uh, some situations where the mayor has done similarly. Uh, when uh, in response to the uh, bringing in the, uh, the the National Guard, she said, well, other than sending in the National Guard, how about uh, dealing more effectively with the COVID-19? But she also completed the two together earlier. It would be better if the mayor and the, and the governor were to sit down and deal with these two issues separately. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that both tend to uh, uh, let the two issues flow together, which I agree with. Uh, uh, the professor. That's not a good thing for those of us who care very much about our city.
0: I'm very uh, concerned about this national image that we're putting forth. We're back to the the front page New York Times stories that uh, we're talking about Governor Kemp uh, opening tattoo parlors. Now we're back to the governor suing uh, Keisha, uh, who is a COVID patient herself, along with her husband and her children. Um, it, the image, the optics of this are terrible for Georgia, particularly when other Republican states, immediately to our west, Alabama, are enforcing mandatory mask. It's an unnecessary conflict. It is dis- it's not, it's disadvantageous to a business image of Georgia. It makes him look like a personal—he's in a personal peak situation, which is. Never what you want in any litigation posture. I'm uh, I'm pretty concerned about the optics of this. I don't think the legal argument is going to benefit anybody, and most importantly, more people are getting sick and suffering significantly.
2: Hey, uh, Bill. One thing I would note here, and 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 maybe it's too early to pass judgment on on this, but one thing that I've noticed is that you're not seeing uh, a whole lot of other Republicans jump up and say. Uh, uh, and 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 endorse what 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 Brian Kemp is done, is, is doing. Uh, I'm 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 hearing right. crickets right now. Uh, uh, and and Rusty I think it's Paul important. was
1: on this show yesterday.
2: Right, and and, and the other yeah, thing Rusty that Paul
1: I, was on the show and didn't. Uh...
2: Right, right. The other thing that I, I just just to kind of press home is he's doing this. He did this on on the very day that you, that some of Metro Atlanta's largest school systems announced that they would be starting virtually because they are not sure how the pandemic and classroom teaching uh, was going to mix and that speaks that speaks to 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 very grassroots concern that that, uh, that, that, that that's contract, contrary to, 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 to what he, what, he's, what his, that lawsuit is saying.
1: I've got to get to a break. Uh, so let's do that now and when we come back we're going to change subjects because I really want to hear the panel and you, Fred Smith especially weigh in on the what the meaning of Steve C. Jones uh, decision in federal court here the other day in saying that the uh, heartbeat abortion law that Georgia has passed is unconstitutional. So we'll talk about that in just a moment. This is political rewind.. <laughs> We're back on uh, Political Rewind. I want to start this segment, if I may, with uh, Professor Fred Smith of Emory School of Law, uh, because I'd love to get your take on uh, uh, Judge Jones ruling the other day, Uh, Fred. We've been waiting and waiting for uh, some legal action on the heartbeat bill, which the legislature passed last session. We know that it virtually outlaws all abortions in the state. Um, and, and, and he said it was unconstitutional. He said it essentially thwarted the intention of Roe v. Wade, which allows women to choose an abortion if they if they believe it's best for them. Um, but was there anything I mean, and clearly we're at the beginning of a long process. So how do you take the language of what Judge Jones said and see it as it moves forward? Sure.
3: So um... You know, if the first case that we talked about, you know, if it has a lot of um, rich legal issues and lots of paths that one can kind of go down, um, this one, interestingly, although the issue is of significant importance for people's lives, um, the legal issues are not nearly as complex. Um, so, the Supreme Court um, has been quite clear um, when it comes to reproductive autonomy um, and a right to privacy that includes um, uh, the right for state not to be able to force. Uh, a woman to ch- uh, to carry a child to term. Um, they've been clear about what the standards are. So, before viability, that is before uh, a fetus could sort of exists um, outside of um, the pregnant person, um, before that, the state really can't put an undue burden on that particular on on this right. Um, after viability, the state can. Um, They can place restrictions so long as there's an exception for the life and the health of the mother. And that's been the law since the early 1990s, a case called Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And so it's quite, quite clear. Um, You know, this is the type of – this particular law is the type of law that if it were literally on the bar exam, there would be a right answer um, in terms of a multiple choice uh, exam. Now, to your point, this could go up. Um, This could go to – you know this will be appealed to the 11th Circuit. Um, And at some point, um, this will, uh, you know, they'll they'll try to get cert at the Supreme Court. Um, I'm not sure that there will be appetite for that, um, especially after what we just saw um, uh, with the Louisiana case last week. Um, This seems to be an attempt at a test case of sorts to to kind of get the Supreme Court to revisit Roe and its principles. But as the law stands today, uh, Judge Jones um, is absolutely correct.
4: Well...
1: Okay, I know everybody wants to jump in, but let me make sure. Wait, before you go, I want to make sure I heard something there, Fred. Are you suggesting you think, did did I hear you say you're not sure there's an appetite for this case or whatever other state has a similar law uh, at the court to want to take this up? Did I hear you say that?
3: Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think that they are. And again, my I mean, my best evidence for that would be the Louisiana case. Um, now, there's there could be pushback to what I just said, which is that the Louisiana case was a, a replica of an earlier case out of Texas from a couple of years earlier. And um, and so perhaps there the, the, the chief didn't want to overturn a precedent from just a few years ago. Um, but um, but yeah, but I. I, I don't I, this 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 isn't. Cutting away at Roe at the edges, um, which I think is a strategy that could be effective, frankly, like cutting away at the edges to the point where there's very, very little left. Um, this is really going to the very core um, of this particular right, um, such that it would be virtually impossible to, um, to uphold Planned Parenthood versus Casey, uphold Roe, and uphold this particular law. Um, and, and I suspect there's not an appetite to kind of go for broke that particular way at the court. Um, I think they would prefer to, to it, gut Roe without actually overturning Roe. Well,
1: Edward, I, got, I saw raises, you got my attention first and then Mary Margaret.
4: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and as a matter of fact, Professor Smith uh, started going down the same path that I, was, that I wanted to go down, which is where does this case go from here? It's not so much surprising that uh, Judge Jones reached the decision he did given the fact that he's bound by appellate court decisions and bound to follow appellate court decisions as a trial judge. Uh, But the bigger question is what's going to happen as this case goes up. Uh, Justice Roberts, in particular, was an interesting vote in the Keeser's decision out of Louisiana about three weeks ago, in which a case in which he had actually, as a justice several years ago, ruled in a different way uh, in regard to the Texas case, came back in this situation and said, well, well the fact of the matter is we now have story decisis on this issue. We, I have now specifically, the court has now specifically ruled on this issue. Only a few years ago, we're not going to change course. So it's going to be very interesting to see what Justice Roberts, who has turned into the swing vote on many cases in recent years, dealing with various social issues. And, and public policy issues, which way he's going to go given the fact that he has been a, a strong advocate for uh, for the courts to follow story decisive and for public policy issues to be cited in legislators, legislative bodies rather than yeah. in the courts.
0: Despite Ed Sessler's intent and a few others of that fairly extreme view, To make Georgia's statute the statute that will present Roe v. Wade to the court in the most clear way, by putting things like child support and taxability deductions in it for a fetus, despite those weird, uh, almost bizarre language additions, uh, the Georgia statute is not likely to be one that Justice Roberts accepts as opportunity to uh, reverse Roe v. Wade. I believe the commentators who say that Justice Roberts is more in control of the Supreme Court than any Chief Justice in a hundred years. The strategies that he's adopting as the swing vote, as the person most concerned about the legacy of this court. <laughs> Um, is pretty sophisticated. I do not – this decision of Stephen Jones is absolutely the correct decision. Uh, I do not believe it will be the case that the court will use to overturn Roley Wade if they ever do that, which I doubt they will.
2: Hey, um, Bill, given that we've got a constitutional law scholar here, is 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 and Mary Margaret kind of led us down this path, but I, I would like to hear from Fred on on just how he interprets John Roberts's role, not just in the, in the in the Louisiana case, but you know if you're if you're if you're a if you're an anti-abortion activist in Georgia, and you're looking at w- what John Roberts did the other week with the Louisiana case, uh, what are you what are you thinking?
3: Yeah, well, I think that they would be disappointed, right, because he voted. Um, uh, in favor um, of the state of Texas just a few years ago. Um, uh, But I think that a good advocate would also be aware then that that means that um, that he's aware of the institutional role of the court. He still cares about things like starry decisis. Um, And so uh, presumably one would be kind of trying to think about other ways, again, to cut at the edges of Roe until there's nothing left, because he's shown an appetite for that in the whole women's health case out of Texas, um, as opposed to really kind of going for broke the way that this particular um, statute does. Um, You know, often people get uncomfortable when people start talking this way about a court. Um, because, you know, we like to think of them as simply applying the law,
2: but this is a part of the law.
3: Starry is, is a part of the law.
2: And that, that's um, the importance of precedent, correct?
3: That's, that's exactly right. Precedent is a part of the law. Um, and I, I would go even a little bit further, that when it comes to
2: the Supreme Court,
3: um, that part of the law, too, is thinking about what their role is. What is their institutional role vis-a-vis um, the other uh, political branches, um, such that they continue to maintain... Um, their legitimacy, their esteem, their respect, um, and I think that the Chief Justice uh, in the Louisiana case, um, as well as some others, but especially that one, um, has shown an attentiveness to that particular um, that particular institutional role.
4: For the uh, bill, for the benefit of the of the listeners, uh, May Margaret raised an interesting point uh, regarding this personhood concept which has been something that, to sort of give a historical context, uh, that's something that's been bantied about for quite a while by the Georgia white, to Life folks in, in the General Assembly. Uh, it reached its peak before this bill uh, in, I believe it was, May and Margaret 2008 with a proposed constitutional amendment that did not get out of a subcommittee uh, in which they were trying to interject this idea of personhood on the fetus with with the thought that it could actually strike at the heart of Roe v. Wade, although there are subsequent Supreme Court decisions that really kind of question whether or not that's a good tactic or not. But this has been a concept that has set for pushing in this bill that uh, the Georgia Right to Life folks have been pushing for for quite some time.
1: But just to put a period on this part of the conversation, I'm hearing from our three lawyers that you really aren't convinced that down the road, the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, despite the fact that the pro-life folks, the anti-abortion folks in states like Georgia, really want them to overturn Roe, you're none of you convinced that 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 the Supreme Court wants to take that up. Is that f- f- all of you pretty much agree with that? Yes. That's, that's okay. Right. That's fascinating. As currently, that's, as the right. court is
3: currently okay. constituted. Yeah. yeah. I would
1: agree. Um, all right. I. We are really running short on time, and I, I wish we weren't because I'd love to go another hour. But Jim Galloway, before we leave, is your uh, Sunday column going to be posted online sometime soon?
2: Yeah, it'll it'll be posted in the next couple hours, probably
1: about noon. All right. We, we- we will post. It. You, you've got about thirty plus seconds today, because we'll talk about it at another point. You are in the. You have learned something fascinating about the vice president of the Confederate States. Tell okay, us for, for, what we're on the trail of.
2: For 150 years, we have described Alexander Stephens, uh, former uh, a, a congressman uh, and governor, as a childless uh, bachelor. Uh, and, and vice president of the Confederacy, the first and only vice president. Uh, I've been spending the last week talking to a an African-American family that has that is claiming him as an ancestor, and it's got some interesting implications. Wow.
1: Well, wow. and you're continuing, and your column will re- be, be about that. We should point out to people that Alexander Stevens was a Georgian. He was born actually in Atlanta, so the story... Uh, brings him close to us right here. Uh, Jim, I'm really looking forward to getting to read more about this.
2: It'll be it'll be interesting. And and, and you know maybe we can bring the principles on, on on air here. All right.
1: All right. We do have just a couple more minutes and so I want to go back to our other so I didn't want to run out of time to, to to mention that and we'll talk about it more. But let's go back to the Supreme Court again for just a second with the few minutes we have. Uh, Fred, how strange is it, or where did it, why are we suddenly seeing the federal government uh, reinstitute executions uh, for uh, serious crime? We've had two this week. A third is supposed to take place today. The Supreme Court has signed off on all three of them. I don't understand the impetus. They has, there hasn't been a federal execution for almost two decades. What is that about?
3: Sure. I mean, well, the Supreme Court hasn't been asked to get involved in federal executions um, for quite a while. Um, It's just sort of been uh, at at times it's been there have been presidencies where this has not been a priority. And uh, and then in in more recent years, this has been tied up in the lower courts. Um, I mean, that's I mean, the court has a very significant death penalty docket with respect to states um, and. Um, mm-hmm. and they you know they've not really shown any interest in cutting back on that and when I clerked at the court one of the things I was really struck by um, was that each week we each week we got a, a list um, of all the people who were scheduled to be executed for the next few weeks um, and uh, so that we could kind of take a, a look at the legal issues before they arrived because inevitably they would um, and so it's a, it's a really significant part of what the Supreme Court does but the but, Um, They permit the vast majority of executions to go forward, um, and I'm I'm not surprised that this is the posture that the court um, is taking with respect to federal executions as well.
1: Does this come out of Justice Department? Is this uh, uh, the attorney general who is pushing this forward? I'm just curious why after two decades we're suddenly seeing them uh, 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 pop up again.
3: Uh, Yeah, so I I mean, I I will confess some ignorance in terms of the precise litigation posture and why um, and what what the Department of Justice, what choices they've made that are are causing this to arise so quickly. But at the Supreme Court level, I'm not surprised by their posture.
1: We're completely out of time uh, for today's show. Mary Margaret Oliver, Edward Lindsay, uh, Fred Smith and Jim Galloway, thank you so much for finishing off another fascinating week in Georgia political news. Um, Jim Galloway and and I are back Monday. Uh, Jim uh, Van Johnson, the mayor of Savannah, is going to be one of the people joining us on Monday. He's been very outspoken in terms of how he feels about the governor's COVID-19 response. He'll talk about that, racial justice, and a lot more. Until then, I'm Bill Nygut. Take care and please, everybody, stay healthy. Bye-bye.